um, November 17th, 1999. That was about 24 years ago. I happened to be 24 at the time. So 48 now, it's kind of like the, the halfway point of my life. November 17th, 1999 was the day or the evening specifically that Jesus captured my heart. I've shared my testimony many times before. I'm going to share it again. Um, I was at university. It was my last year, college, Cal State University, Long Beach in Southern California. And uh, somehow, I found myself at a little meeting on my campus in the student union um, where a bunch of Christians, maybe about 50 people, young people, 20-something-year-old people had gathered in a room in the student union um, to do like their little Christian meeting. They had invited a guest speaker, a guy named Tom Sarotnik. They referred to him as Big Tommy. He was big. And he got up on stage and took the microphone and proceeded to like give a very uh, passionate but simple like Jesus presentation. He said, God loves you. He has a plan for your life, but you've got to make a choice. Do you want to trust him, your maker, and live the life that he gave you life for in the first place? Or, or do you want to do it your way? And I sat in that room. There was a bit more than that, but that was the essence of it. And I sat in that room, and in a moment, I felt like the Lord um, put his finger on a very specific part of my soul it was incredibly uncomfortable like it was the kind of feeling either either I wanted to like run to God or away from God but there wasn't a whole lot of in between it was just like oh goodness something's happening right now and I feel like I'm on the verge of um, something that could could change everything this could be a life-changing moment. Of course, I wasn't necessarily thinking all of that in those terms, but those were the feelings. I remember the feelings vividly. And so I made a decision that night as the meeting was wrapping up. Big Tommy, he said, if you want to get right with God tonight, if you want to respond to the things that I've been saying, if you want to be forgiven of your sins, Jesus offers you that tonight but you need to make a choice. So if you want to get right with God, I want you to stand up right where you're at. No, bow your heads, close your eyes, just stand up. And I did. I was the only one in the room. It was very awkward. But I stood up and I prayed a prayer. I sat down, the meeting was dismissed. Everyone left. I eventually went home and thought, what on earth just happened? What, what on earth did I just commit to? I threw away um, out a, a bag of weed, flushed it down the toilet. Um, I had a really nice porcelain four hose hookah, like a bong, threw it in the dumpster behind the apartment that I was living in. Um, I had some like VHS porno, threw that away, and um, went to bed. Got up the next day. Um, still reeling from like this very surreal experience that I had. That was 24 years ago. A couple days went by, I called my mom. Because that's what you do when you find Jesus. Um, my mom loves the Lord. So I called my mom 
And I said, Mom, I have something to tell you. A couple nights ago, I was at this Christian meeting on my campus, and I don't know how to put this, but I became a Christian. I made a decision to trust Jesus. And I'm, I'm not even sure exactly what that means at this point, but I'm like, I'm in. I made a decision. Long pause. It sounded like maybe she was crying a little bit. And she said this, honey, you have no idea for how long and for how many people we have been praying for this day to come. This morning we're going to talk about prayer. Prayer. We've been in a series called Back to the Basics. This morning actually is part six. We've been looking at not an exhaustive list of like all the most important Christian things, but some of like the most basic things that, that Christians do. And arguably, like some of the things are so basic, we can almost like begin to take them for granted. Like we forget, like these are, are really, really significant things. And, and, and or maybe we, we don't forget to do them, but we forget like why. Like what, why is something as basic as praying for the salvation of your son like so powerful. Why is this so important? So we've been revisiting the basics as it were and this morning. We're gonna talk about prayer. Do you like the illustrations by the way? A little shout out to my boy Judah. Oh, go, do you wanna say something Judah, nice and loud? Well done. I think it looks amazing. Like you nailed it. You got it. It's the basics. It's great. And each one's been a bit different. So thank you, Judah. I think I owe you money for these illustrations, don't I? I told you I was going to pay you like a dollar per illustration. I know. I know. Okay. Luke chapter 5. You don't have to turn there. Luke chapter 5, we're told... Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. In the first chapter of Acts, we're told that after Jesus commissioned his disciples to go and tell the world about his great victory over death and darkness, but to wait in the city until they were to receive power from the Holy Spirit, we're told they all joined together constantly in prayer. And in Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul, he writes to the church, normal, everyday people, just like us. He says, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be constant in prayer. And one of my favorites, the great 20th century Swiss theologian Karl Barth wrote, it is not possible for us to say, I will pray or I will not pray, as if it were a question of pleasing ourselves. To be a Christian and to pray mean the same thing. And not a thing that can be left to our own wayward impulses. It is rather a necessity as breathing is necessary to life. So what is it? What, 
What is prayer? What is actually happening when, if, or when we pray? And what did Jesus really mean when he said this in Matthew 21? If you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. And if we believe the words of Jesus, why don't we pray more? What is prayer? How's your relationship with prayer? Um, Prayer, like a lot of uh, the basics, can actually bring up um, a mixture of emotions. Um, If you're anything like me, I often, when I think about prayer, one of my immediate thoughts or feelings is like, I should do it more. I'm a bit of a rubbish Christian. I should pray more. Almost a negative feeling. Not always, but sometimes. Um, some of you might just feel like super excited. You're like, man, I love praying. It's just like, it's just my jam. Love it. Let's tell, tell me all about it. How is your relationship with prayer? What is prayer? I'm going to break this into three parts. I don't know why sermons always end up in three parts. It's, but this is what it is. And this will be on the next slide. What is prayer? Prayer is personal conversation with God. Prayer is a pathway into God's presence. And prayer is partnering with God in power. Starting with the first one. Prayer is personal conversation with God. Um, I don't have a dictionary definition for you, but if we were to attempt one, this may not be a bad start. What is prayer? It's talking to God. It's a personal conversation with our Father. It's sharing with and listening to God. It's as simple as chatting with your best friend. And in that way, prayer is the beginning of intimacy or union with God in Christ. Um, And it must be stated, this is only possible Because of what Jesus has done for us through his completed work on the cross. We're told elsewhere that we have bold access into God's throne room. We don't have to schedule an appointment. We don't have to wait for a special, you know, know, golden invitation. We can go straight into the throne room of God. Address him as father and know that he's delighted to talk to us. Our father loves chatting with his kids it's personal conversation with god now um i suppose we could just stop there i could say sermon concluded um let's do it there's the application instead of talking about god let's just talk to god that wouldn't be a bad place to end or begin Uh, but there is more that can be said Um, in fact i would argue there is more that should be said Um, prayer is conversation with God prayer is also a pathway into God's presence Uh, conceptually we know that God is everywhere so in philosophical terms we call that 
God's omnipresence. Okay, that's, we, we all, I think, understand that conceptually. Um, even if you're not like a particularly religious person, it's kind of like by definition, God isn't constrained by time and space. Like God is everywhere, all at once. We understand this. But how often do we go about our lives as if he wasn't? How often do we like make decisions and interact with people and, and, and deal with like the heavy, heavy things of life as if God was like far off, wondering if he can even hear my prayers. And this is often, I think, the, how we practically go about our lives. Prayer is a pathway into God's presence. One of the more famous Psalms says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. When we pray, it's not making God be more present. Prayer is seeking to be present to the one who is always present to you. What is that? Prayer is seeking to be present to the one who is always present to you. So when you're going about life as if God is far off, what happens, typically fear will overcome you as you're making your way through like shadowy valleys and it feels like death is coming closer. And you know how when you act in fear, when anxiety is getting the best of you or you're thinking about all that's going on in the world or all that's happened to you and, and fear has this way of like causing us to either withdraw or perhaps control, but it doesn't help. It doesn't bless our relationships. It doesn't end in peace. It just kind of reaps havoc, wreaks havoc in our life. When I pray, I am seeking to be present to the one who's always present to me. And I remember, as I'm drawing near to my Father, in a moment of prayer, as I seek intimacy, as I seek his face, I'm reminded that God's not far off. Sometimes I can even begin to feel his presence. And although the shadow continues to wane, the valley is just as real as ever. I will fear no evil because God is with me. I'm aware of his presence Prayer is seeking to be present to the one who is always present to you. And prayer is refusing to go anywhere without God. Talking about prayer as a pathway to God's presence. Prayer is also a refusal to go anywhere without the presence of God. Um one of my favorite illustrations of this, um, this concept, called a, a theological concept, is found in Exodus chapter 33. This is one of the more famous moments um, where Moses, you guys know about Moses? Everyone knows about Moses. He's, um, God picked this man to be like a shepherd to his people, to lead his people out of slavery. And it's this epic story, right? They finally get out of Egypt, and they're out in the desert, 
And they get to this mountain called Sinai or Mount Horeb. And he goes up to the mountain and God begins to speak to this man. And um, the way the story's told, it's as if God is proposing to his people, like a husband would his bride. And he's saying, I want to, I want to enter into a covenant relationship, a deeply intimate, eternal covenant with my people. And, and here are my vows. Do, when, what do you say? And all the people say, we do. And it's like this, it's like this divine marriage ceremony. It's this very poetic sort of like way of telling the story. Um, but he, the, Moses is up on the mountain for a minute. It's, it's, it's a little while, um, but not that long. Just long enough for the people to begin wondering, whatever happened to Moses? And just like that, even though they'd just been delivered from slavery, just like that, they're like, you know what? I don't know what happened to this. Moses, we need a new God. We need a new God. So they make the golden calf. Long story. And um, God is, they betray God. In essence, they, they commit adultery like on their wedding night. I know that sounds like a little extreme, but that's, that's kind of how the story is told. It's heartbreaking. And so Moses goes back up the mountain. He begins to pray or intercede for God's people. He's like, God, like you got to please don't, don't blot their names out of your book. Like, or if you've got to, blot my name out. Like he kind of stands in the gap for God's adulterous people. It's quite cool. It's like a foreshadow to Jesus. And um, finally, God says, all right, fine. You know what? Go ahead and go into the promised land. Go. It's, it's still there for you. It's waiting. I made a promise a long time ago. It's there. Go. But I can't go with you. I'm not, I'm not going to go with you. But you, you go ahead. You go ahead. The promise is still there. And Moses says in Exodus 33, verses 15 and 16, he says to God, If your presence will not go with me, don't bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Prayer is a pathway to God's presence and a refusal to go anywhere without him. You know, I have dreams for our church. They might even be dreams from God. I have dreams that someday we're going to begin to reach so many people in this city, people that you would think like want nothing to do with God but are desperate for hope. And maybe somehow God might like use us like through our relationships and through the food pantry and through our prayers and we would begin to invite people in to our, our little community and our relationships and maybe even this space on a Sunday morning. And somehow this little space would begin bursting at the seams with people desperate to like meet Jesus. Like I dream about this stuff all the time. I pray about this stuff all the time. And this week I was thinking, what would it be like if that happened but in a way that wasn't necessarily the spirit of God moving, but more of us just sort of, um, I don't know, doing some good marketing or me preaching super good or the music, just you know, all the things that one can do to attract a crowd. Not bad things, good things, 
think the band did great, and I want to preach good, like all the things, right? But there is a way to assemble a crowd in the name of religion that's not necessarily the Spirit of God drawing lost sons and daughters to come home. Are you guys tracking with me? I'm not trying to sound cynical. I'm certainly not like thinking of other churches out there. Nothing like that. I just know that I want to be the kind of church, big or small, whether we're bursting at the scenes or whatever, I long to be the kind of church that when we look back 24 years from now, we can say for sure God did that. God was the one who was at work all along. And yeah, we, 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 we did the things that God gave us to do. We participated and we, we were excellent, or at least we tried. But really, in retrospect, it was God with us. It was God working all along through our words and our relationships and all of the things that we got up to through the food pantry and the third way cafe that's kind of erupting in our kitchen and like all of the creative things and when we host the chimes again and, 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 and just a couple of months, stay tuned. All the things that we get up to in our small groups, etc., etc. I want us to be able to look back and be like, yeah, but we didn't go without God's presence. We didn't rush ahead thinking like, we just got to make this happen because we're getting bored. Because I'm getting frustrated and it's taking too long. I say, in prayer, we refuse to go anywhere unless God's going with us. Amen. <clears throat> so, prayer is a pathway into God's presence. Personal conversation with our Father, a pathway into God's presence. And thirdly, prayer is partnering with God in power. Here is a great mystery. God doesn't need our help in carrying out his great plan for redeeming all of creation. But there's virtually nothing in all of creation that God does without inviting his people to participate. It's like God doesn't quote-unquote need us, but it would seem he does virtually nothing without us. Now, I cannot help but think, oh, that's, that's, that's father. That's, that's father. I'm a dad. I, for sure, I don't need my kids really to help me with much. I'm pretty, pretty self-sufficient. Sorry, kids. But dang it, I love you. I love you so stinking much that I just want to include you in all of the things that we get up to, all of the dreams that I have and that your mama has for our family. And I think that's maybe a, a reflection of God's heart. He doesn't need us. Our God is sovereign. He's all-powerful. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. He just says the word. And yet, there's virtually nothing he does in all of creation that he doesn't want to um, include us in. And so, prayer is partnering with God in power. Um, three verses. Philippians 1.19 
I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. 2 Corinthians 1.11, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. And my favorite, Colossians 4.12, Epaphras, that's a guy's name, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Uh, the, the word struggling, it's the Greek word agonizomai or agonizama. Excuse my pronunciation. Um, it's, it's a helpful Greek word because it's, it's obviously where we get our English word agony or agonize. This guy agonizes in prayer for the people of God. Elsewhere in the New Testament, that same word is translated as fight. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, Paul writes in his second letter to Timothy. There's something about partnering with God um, in power. Like this, it, and this is the mystery. This is the mystery. God doesn't need us, but somehow when I pray, like God is working through my prayers. As I contend in prayers, I fight in prayers, I agonize in prayer with God. God is moving and doing powerful things, healing people, delivering people, changing the circumstances of life, bringing peace in war-torn nations. Breaking generational curses that have been passed down through the eons that often result in bombs being dropped in nations. And when we pray, God moves powerfully. Is this not just one of the, the great mysteries of the faith? Like, I know that the power is not of me. It's not like uh, I, I've been entrusted with this magic amulet, and I wave it around, and I'm like, ha, 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 like, I have power. No, no, definitely doesn't work that way. That's something else. That is absolutely something else. And yet when I do pray, there is power in prayer. It says elsewhere in the book of James um, that the prayer of the righteous man or woman, the fervent prayer of the righteous man or woman is powerful and effective. So, prayer is partnering with God in power. Power to what in? Power over what? Let's break this down just a little bit more. Like what, specifically, what are we talking about? Power to what end? Three things. Number one, Prayer exercises power over hell. Mark 9, 29, the disciples of Jesus come to him. They had attempted to cast out a demon, which they had done many times before. Jesus had instructed them, you can cast out demons. I'm giving you authority. Go. Come back with a good report. And then in Mark chapter 9, they meet someone who has a demon that's taken up residence 
in their soul, however that works, and they attempt to cast it, cast it out and they fail. So they have a private debrief with Jesus. And like, Jesus, why couldn't we cast it out? And Jesus says this, this kind, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. How about that? So this is, this is what I understand from, from that little passage. There are spiritual forces of evil at work in the world around us. That used to be like a very religious thing to say. My take on the world lately is that's almost become like, uh, like an accepted part of reality. Like wh- whether you're religious or not, you're like, yeah, like we'll just look around the world. We'll just survey the world. Like there are things going on in this world. Evil forces at work. And you can make your way, you can, even as a Christian, you can get pretty far navigating your way through all the ups and downs and the, the spiritual dynamics of this world we live in. But eventually... If you follow Jesus long enough, if you fight hard enough, you're going to meet a demon that's going to knock you on your behind. And you're going to get with Jesus and say, Jesus, it didn't work like all the times before. And he's like, oh, you, you met one of those kind. You met one of those kind. What kind is that? Oh, I wish I knew. What kind is he talking about? Is that the demon that wants me to leave my wife? Is it one of those kinds? Is that the demon that makes me want to lie to my church about the secret sin that I get up to when no one's around and I think that God's far off? Are there certain like demons that have been assigned to take you down that are somehow like, okay, I've let you go this far. But if you think you're going to take one more step, maybe that step that results in this like, knock-on effect of redemption all around you, then that one kind decides, like, no, 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 not today. We like to say we, we're saying that to the devil. There's a devil out there that says, no, not today. And Jesus says, this kind, only through prayer. Now, good luck trying to like fit that into your little theological framework really sure what to make of it except that there is one kind unlike the other kinds that it's going to take prayer to overcome power over hell power over the harvest Matthew chapter 9 when Jesus saw the crowds he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Prayer somehow unleashes power for the harvest. The harvest is a metaphor for people who have not yet experienced freedom in Christ who have not yet responded to the gospel as I did 24 years ago God only knows that wasn't just my good idea someone was praying for me someone was praying for big Tommy I suspect prayer unleashes power 
that will affect people who don't know our Father yet. We're told to pray for the laborers. I'm a laborer. Anyone who, who, who wants to see people um, meet Jesus, which is a pretty like um, natural desire. If you've, met, if you've met the one, it's a very, very natural desire to want to share him with others. It's the nature of love. Um, how oftentimes, though, when you're driving through this city, do you feel um, compassion for those people? You know, the people you look at, man, talk about like living in a harassed state. Do you feel overwhelmed with compassion? Or do you think to yourself, dude, we gotta get the heck out of here. Let's go, let's go, uh, let's, let's get out of the city. Let's avoid the city. Now, I'm gonna get super personal right now, okay? Because <clears throat> this is real. Can I, can, I, can I pastor you for a second? Can I challenge you? You gonna get mad at me? <laughs> Some of you, um, you're more concerned with with comfort and financial security than you are the lost people in our city. You feel you you instead of feeling compassion, you just want to be more comfortable. And that's why many of us move out to the suburbs. That's the personal part. What if we began praying in a way that caused our hearts to be filled with the same compassion that compelled Jesus not to head for the suburbs, but to make a beeline for the cross? What if we began to pray and to partner with God in power in a way that we weren't just praying for like those poor, broken, lost people that are making a mess out of the world, but like our own hearts. And we began to like move closer in. We began to find ways, like I'm not trying to like avoid uncomfortable interactions just so I can kind of get to my little church and then head back out. Like I'm trying to, I'm like all in. And I get it. I've got three kids and a mortgage. Like, I understand, like, the, the reality of financial pressures. I, I get it, 100%. And I also understand it's not this, like, simple, sort of straightforward thing. Sometimes, like, there's good reasons, godly reasons, to move away or to live out in the suburbs or whatever. Simply using that as an example. Something that I see quite common. But whatever your specific situation is, the challenge is pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers and to be open to being a laborer yourself and see what God might not do to your heart. How powerful that might be. Shall we move on? What? My suburb. This isn't about me. It's a good question. What is your suburb? That's a fantastic question. What's your suburb? <clears throat> hmm. Last one. 
Prayer is partnering with God in power, power over hell, power over the harvest, power over my own heart. How about that? Philippians 4, this is the New Living Translation. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I think I've already made the point. When we pray, the power of God begins to affect our own hearts. And the things that cause us to worry and want to um, withdraw and look for the most comfortable place, quite naturally, God will begin to fill our hearts with peace. And instead of being driven by fear or worry or rejection or all that's wrong, the inner storm of my soul, God begins to give me his peace. Talk about the power of God at work in a human life. Peace that surpasses anything I can understand. How oftentimes do we just spin our wheels trying to like, like connect all the dots and solve all the problems. And if I just do this, this, that, and the other, then I'll fix all of my life circumstances. I'll feel better and then I'll finally be happy. Really? How's that working for you? Or we draw near to God in prayer. Say, Lord, I can't make sense out of any of this. I've tried and I'm exhausted and I'm sorry. I'm sorry for not going to you first. Lord, would you give me your peace? Would you still the storm in my own heart so that I can really start to live and breathe and experience um, your life, your vision for my life? whether that's in a suburb someplace or right here in the middle of the mess. So, so much more could be said about prayer. I probably should have said that up front. Um, Tomes have been written, countless sermons given. This morning, and this is, this is, I'm at the end of my notes. This is, this is what I've got for, for Grace City, Portland. This, is, this has been my journey. Um, and if we had a bit more time, I might just share more of what, I have, what God has been doing in my life personally lately. But I've been on this journey where God is like calling me, calling me, calling me. Get with me. Get with me. Talk to me. Just recently, I heard God's voice quite vividly. He said, Simon, you know, you like to talk a lot about me, but is it possible you talk more about me than you talk to me? And I was like, oof. I want to be the kind of person that is so closely connected to my God, my Father, my best friend, my Savior. I want that for us as a church family. I want us to be a house of prayer for all nations. And um, I'm, not, I'm not about to shake my finger anyone in here. I'm not like, come on, guys, you can do better than this. Nope, I'm not interested in that nonsense. But I really want us to, like, grow together. I want us to grow together. I want us to be the kind of church that, like, shows up for the prayer meetings comes early before church to like pray for one another and and you know and if I was to do an honest survey of where I think we're at 
which is kind of my job as the pastor of Grace City, I would say, guys, we've got a lot of work to do. We've got a lot of work to do. And God is faithful. Like, he, he's going to help us. He's going to help us. Um, so let me give you a practical, an invitation for growth. Um, here it is. We can go to the next slide, please. Find a friend, read a book, commit to praying together in person once a week. Super simple. Baby step. Uh, these are a couple of books that I've just read recently. So Keller, his book on prayer. I actually listened to this one. It's like, it's a mammoth. It's like everything that's ever been said about prayer, sort of condensed by Tim Keller. Super good. Um, and then Dirty Glory. I'm about two-thirds through it now by Pete Gregg. He's one, I've read some of his other stuff. He's like my favorite because he just tells like stories. Like this is what God has done when his people have prayed. Um, mixed in with some like helpful theology. These are my two recommendations on prayer right now. I'm sure there's others out there that are just as good. Find a friend. Read a book on prayer with them. We all need motivation. We need to be inspired. Books are great for that. Do it with a friend and then along the way, commit to praying together in person once a week. And we'll just, we'll build from there. You might want to join us Tuesday mornings at 6 a.m. That's like our official prayer meeting every Tuesday at 6 a.m. There's a small group of us that meets literally right below me. You could be a part of that. Um, that may not work for you. You may have to get super creative. It will cost you something, for sure, just like any relationship. It will require some intentionality, just like any relationship. But there's my challenge. It's a baby step. Find a friend, read a book together, get inspired, and then pick a, an hour or maybe 15 minutes where you come together in person once a week and you pray. That's our next step as a church family. Can we stand together, please?